Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. This is the third and final part of our conversation with C. Baxter Kruger, who lectures throughout the world about grace and the Trinity through his ministry, Perichoresis. You can follow his work at perichoresis.org. Don't worry about spelling it. We'll put it in the show notes so you can find it easily. And this episode is unique and different, right, Jim? That's very right, Bill. I was familiar with the ground that Baxter was treading because I'd gone to his courses. I'd read some of his books. I had uh, had the opportunity to watch them on numerous YouTube videos. There's stories and patterns that he shared with us that I was familiar with and had seen before. But I think what we're providing here is something you won't find anywhere else on YouTube from him. And I think it's an important, important question. There's this sense that the stuff that we're saying here is novel, that it's new, that it was re of recent vintage. In fact, it's very vintage. It's quite vintage. It goes all the way back to the apostolic era. And so what we're doing here is we're looking to kind of put that scarlet thread of redemption from there till now together. And say it's, it's fundamental. Yes. It's fundamental. It's fundamental. Check sure, it Baxter. out. Um, can we do something fun for a second? I want to know, uh, you talk about your influences and it peppers the courses that you do, it peppers the books, but I thought it would be a fun exercise to kind of go through the list of, I, I collected a list, I hope this is a fairly complete list, but taking just a couple minutes each to talk about some of the heroes of the faith for you and, and the journey that you're on. And here's my intention of doing this, I'll be real transparent and upfront with everybody. I, I would like to uh, show that this is a thread of redemption that's been going on the whole time. It's been there since the very beginning. This isn't something you've said a couple of things today that might shock people or they were, they were surprised to hear it because they go to church and they had heard some of these things before. And then they're going to think, well, this isn't right because, you know, my pastor didn't tell me this or whatever radio ministry or whatever. But this has actually been orthodox kind of all along. Can we can we do that for a few minutes? Man, yeah, um, it, it it all starts with Abraham. Go ahead. And, and, and Oaks of Mamre, three men show up who turn out to be angels, one of whom is Yahweh, the other two end up being Yahweh as well. And so that Trinitarian discussion is all the way back in the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew Bible. Uh, and then, of course, you have the revelation as it comes in Jesus and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saying saying yes uh, to uh, conception and birth. And you, then you've got Mary and then you've got Jesus and the disciples, John and Peter and Paul. Mary Magdalene uh, was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. In fact, the revelation given to us in Jesus that God is Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, the, the testimony of that, uh, Magdalene's testimony from, from the uh, the tomb uh, is the foundation upon which the entire church is built. There's a witness of Mary Magdalene to Peter and John. And then the and how side. is that so? Say, elaborate on that. She's the first one. She, and John is delivered. Uh, he, she's the first one that, that meets the resurrected Jesus. And she tells John, she tells all the disciples and John and Peter go running out there. Um, so I just, it was very deliberate on John's part to honor her. And um, 
And so the place of, of women, and this is a side point, but the place of women from Jesus' own, um, very different than anything we have now in the West where we're fighting to, to let women, you know, even have a place to teach, you know. But Mary Magdalene is, is critical uh, in the whole the whole church, history of the church. And after that, you have, um, uh, and, and believe me, this is a very short list, but you have like John. Uh, yeah, that was the next one on my list. Because you, you uh, Patmos, you're actually going to, you're transporting to your characters, transporting to seeing him. And he kind of lays it all out. Yeah, he it, that book is interesting because it's written on two levels. One is uh, Aiden's personal story, from religiosity and defeat and despair and cynicism to revolution and, and encounter with the Father, Son, and Spirit. So that's the story. But Aiden also is the Western Church. Uh, so you, you got it multiple levels. And John is always asking questions about the future and who are these people, um, and and Aiden. Is like he he wants to tell him, but he wants to listen. So it, that kind of goes back and forth all the way through. But but uh, Polycarp comes up in there. Polycarp was a disciple of John, Bishop of Smyrna. And then Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. And Irenaeus wrote a fabulous book called "On the uh, Against the Heresies." It's difficult to read because he goes into Gnosticism and he's diagnosing it. So pages and pages of what the crazy stuff they believe. But but the nuggets, for example. And book five, he says, Irenaeus says, Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who in his transcendent love became what we are to bring us to be what he is in himself. This is 180 AD he's writing this, or thereabouts. Uh, very different thing I ever heard in the Western church. Uh, yeah. Jesus, Jesus is becoming human in order that we can share in everything that he has with his divine father and the Holy Spirit. So the Polycarp, then you have Athanasius, who was in. Let me, let me hold on. Just let's pause for just a second here, because uh, both John, you know, the epistles and then uh, Irenaeus are dealing with Gnosticism. What is Gnosticism? Mm, oh, well, it can be as complicated as you want it to be, but essentially it is. Um, if you if you buy the lie that I'm separated from God, mm -hmm. then the driving passion is I've got to figure out how to get back. Well, one way of getting back is through the mind, mm -hmm. gnosis, knowledge. Uh, that's part of what Gnosticism was about. And, and then the other way to get back is Phariseeism. Tell me what I got to do. So you get back through your head or you get back through your, your self-efforts. Both are doomed to leave you uh, where Aiden was. Um, he had been to five denominations. He'd been there and done that, got all the T-shirts. He'd worked as a faithful man. He's a good man, but he could not find Jesus. He always knew, Aiden always knew, that Jesus was the answer to everything. But he didn't know how he was the answer. And that was his thriving passion that just made him, uh, totally frustrated with the, the self-effort. And, and that's what Jesus is, is teaching the disciples. For example, in, in John 13, Jesus says, I'm fixing to go away. And, and Peter says, well, where are you going? I'll go. And I, I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll even die for you. And, and Jesus said, oh, really? said, Peter, before tomorrow morning, before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then the, did, next did, verse, the next yeah. verse. Go ahead. The next verse is, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, now trust me. 
Peter, you can't get there on your own. Self-effort will never land you where you want to be, but I can. I can. You follow me. Abide in me. So all the way through the upper room is the theme of the disciples, you know, impending failure that you can't get there from where we are, but Jesus can get to us. And he has. And that's what he's saying about following. So you go through the line. And again, I mean, there's all kinds of other people. Origin yeah, I want to I just pause on this one more second. And this, this Gnosticism thing, you, you brought up the Pharisees, too. And it just occurs to me that maybe you've described the liberal conservative divide, right? So the social gospel, we're going to we figured everything out. We've, we've got our scholarly work. We know the miracles didn't happen. We got our we're going to go do right. And that do is going to be the proof. And then is it got a group saying the fundamentalists reacting, saying, no, we're going to get back to what uh, uh, to this. Uh, to this pharisaical relationship that, that we have to, to have. Like, is it it's is not a relationship? It's a religion. Yeah. So, but I mean, and maybe these divides are still very present to this very day. I mean, the stuff they're addressing at the end of the, of the new Testament and then the early, the anti Nicene, as they say, before Nicene fathers, the same issues are basically surfacing today. Well, that, that's the, the bottom line is that if you believe if you do not believe that Jesus is God of God, light of life, homoousios, topatria, the same being with the Father, then he's just a notch below the Father. Uh, and so he can't give the Father or the Holy Spirit to us. That's what they were fighting about at Nicaea. Uh, but the, the fundamental flaw in, in, in the human mind, the fallen human mind, is separation. Once you bite separation, you got to get back. So now we're vulnerable to anybody's ideas as to how to do that. And there's really only two or some kind of combination thereof. One is through the head, through gnosis, through uh, uh, understanding and ideas. Uh, the other is through uh, self-effort uh, by, by religious principles and applying those to your life, both of which uh, lead to nowhere. They missed it. Yeah, the ideas, and, and this is really, this is back to what I was saying about Anna. I, ideas do not come first. Ideas come from encounter. But when you detach yes. encounter from ideas, then it's all about getting all this information right. And all you do is you end up with information. It may even be right information, but it's information. It's not communion. And you can't get from information to communion without Jesus in you. Uh, and in the same way, if I'm separated and somebody tells me, here are the things that you have to do and you have to be really good at them, then now I'm beholden to somebody's definition and their evaluation of my progress. But it never leads to communion. There's a, difference between, there's a difference between reading a book about my wife and being with her. Yes. And, and there's a difference between the little boy in the den and a religious person. A religious person would walk in there and see my son and his buddy in the den and take notes. These are the five things that they, they're doing. And and Mr. Kruger stands like this a lot. And little boys, you know, and they start imitating life rather yes. than actually sharing in it. Mm -hmm. And then and then they build a whole denomination out of it. Oh, of and course. Get, of course. To, so and I, then I they just, would split. Then they would split. They would get an argument right. over something and split. So I interrupted you when you were about to go into Athanasius, and I happen to know, and you've already kind of in in, in our previous segment uh, uh, talked about him quite a bit, but I, I imagine you probably could go on for some time. Athanasius looms large in your thinking. Absolutely. I mean, and look him up. He, the beautiful thing is, is these, these early church fathers didn't write megatomes. They were so dialed in on what's important, and it's so beautiful, their language, Irenaeus 
is that way in, in the snippets that you pick up. Like I quoted Athanasius, I quoted him earlier. Um, uh, one of one of my favorite Athanasius quotes is he says the the uh, the Arians are like the Sadducees of old, that when they hear that the Son is the wisdom and, and radiance and word of God, they are accustomed to rejoin, "How can this be?" As though if, if nothing can be unless they understand it. <laughs> so they're all up in their head trying to work this thing out. And, and Athanasius is saying it's about knowing here. And, and Hillary, just at the same time, but he was a, a Western father. And Hillary said that, that we must be willing to expand our imaginations until they're worthy of the theme. Not Say, 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 say that again. We must be word. This is from De Trinitate, of book two or chapter two. We must be willing to expand our imaginations, have our mind blown, until it is worthy of the theme of the glory of God, the goodness of God. And he's saying the Arians are just coming in with a fixed system, and if God doesn't fit the fixed system, they just don't believe that. So that was the battle. That's the battle today. Is that we come in based on what we're taught and we're listening and all we hear or we're not listening anything doesn't fit in. But the communion, the, the unspeakable communion and life of the Father, Son, and Spirit is within us, knocking at the base of our brain, saying, hey, let me expand you a little bit, which is the same thing as saying Jesus is saying, but actually take sides with me today. I want you to see something today. But you don't know. This is called Revelation. You don't know. It has to be revealed to you. And I'm the one going to reveal it. So that's an individual journey, but it's also a corporate historical journey. That, and I'd that, be willing to bet that it's not something that you, like, know. The re the revelation is something that happens here. It's the relation, the, re the revelation of the relationship, right? Yeah, and and and, and, our, and uh, Hillary, uh, so beautiful. He was Celtic. He and Irenaeus both were Celtic. Uh, they, they just, they didn't have all these divisions that we have, sacred, secular, and who's in, who's out, they saw the Father, Son, and Spirit, and they realized that this, we're talking about something here that is too beautiful for words. In fact, let me just read, um, um, if I can find the, the quote. Um, yeah, this is, this is a quote from Hillary. I was just looking at it before we got on here. He says, um, since he is to hear about that divine nature, he may expand his thoughts till they are worthy of the theme, not fixing some arbitrary standard for himself, uh, but judging as of infinity, like, like you, you're in the presence of God. And you have to open yourself up to, to be expanded as of infinity. And, and then he says, um, he says, for he, you must gauge God's assertions concerning himself by the scale of his own glorious self-revelation. For he is the best student who does not read his thoughts into the book, but lets it reveal its own, who draws from it its sense and does not import his own into it, nor force upon its words a meaning which he had determined was the right one before he opened its pages. Since then we are to discourse on the things of God, let us assume that God has full knowledge of himself and bow with humble reverence to his word. I mean, that's just, that's, that, I mean, that's just a, a vintage, glorious truth. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and it, it, here's, from, here's from McDonald, same, same point. This is, this is the issue. You got notions of separation, 
and you got the assumption that my mind is good. I'm okay. I can figure this out and I can evaluate. So uh, George McDonald, right in the 1800s, he says, a man may well himself discover truth in what he wrote, for he was he was dealing all the time with things that came from thoughts beyond his own. You see, that's the reflection, the idea, the concepts are, are thinking about a communion that is unspeakable. So even when you struggle to write it and then go back and read it, you may hear more in it that you wrote because it's attached, mm. it's attached directly to this intuition uh, or spiritual knowledge or the Holy Spirit's ministry. Um, so, You've got Athanasius, who is the, uh, he was present at the Council of Nicaea, uh, Nicaea as a mm -hmm. uh, non-voting deacon. Uh, he became the um, the fierce defender of Nicaea his whole life. He was banished from the church five times. They tried to murder him, uh, but he escaped and um, he lived and he wrote uh, against the Arians. He wrote a book called On the Incarnation of the Word of God, which I quoted from earlier in uh uh, against the Gentiles or pagans, that was that was Athanasius 300s. Uh, you've got Hillary in the West, same period. Then following uh, Athanasius, and you got the or, Cappadocian Fathers as well, yeah, right? Following Athanasius was the Cappadocian Fathers, and that was and really they learned from their sister uh, Macrina. Gregory Nazianzen was was one of the leaders. He was he was at the Council of Constantinople where they they kind of finished the creed, but the St. Basil the Great and uh, Gregory Nyssa were the brothers of Macrina, the younger, and she was the theological genius of the family. She taught them, um, and uh, she, unfortunately, I don't think we have anything that she wrote, but we, we can figure it out about what Basil, and so that that's that period there, and then you got Augustine in the 400s. Um, I don't put him in the same category as is the men that I just were speaking about because he he was very much indebted to separation and and Western uh, thinking and uh, but but there's some beautiful things that he says as, as a brother, but he kind of put a spin on the thing that led us down the wrong uh, path. And then you've got some some mystics really in the in the medieval period even earlier than that that um, really did focus on the communion. And then you've got um, Thomas Aquinas and and uh, Peter Abelard and some of these people in the medieval times that that more rationalistic, uh, more in the head, figured it's all out, uh, Aquinas was, um, than what you would find in, say, Athanasius or Hillary. Uh, and then then you had the, the aberrations that happened in the West, and you got you got Luther, of course, but before Luther, you had Patrick, uh, I mean, you had uh, uh, Wycliffe and others um, who were murdered. Uh, Luther was saved because the Frederick of Saxony, in whose area Luther lived, um, saw what was going to happen. and had Luther kidnapped and brought to his own castle, and that's when he translated the, the New Testament from Greek into German. Um, of course, you got John Calvin, and Calvin was actually trying to bring together Athanasius, uh, Gregory Nazianzen, Hillary, with the Western tradition and pull these together. And he did a pretty good job, but he got stuck with Augustine's double predestination. And um, But if you read the early yeah. fall... So I was going to say, you tell, you explain this in the class. There's like a cutoff. At one point, he leaves off, just hits a perfect note, could have closed the, closed the music right there, open up the next book, and he kind of goes off in this direction. Can you expand on that? 
Yeah, well, I don't remember how that all worked. In, in his uh, the institutions of the Christian religion, um, and and Calvin wrote commentary on every book in the Bible except the Book of Revelation. So you get you get his theology there, but you also get it in his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion. Uh, four four books. And book two is all about Jesus, and he says all at the very end he says all parts of our salvation are complete in in Jesus. If you seek life, it's in his mortification. If you seek righteousness is is in, in his life and, and he goes it's just a beautiful statement and he ends book two and you come to book three and and the opening line of book three is that that all that god has given to us in jesus christ as long as jesus christ is outside of us all that god has given to us in him remains of no benefit whatsoever Mm-hmm. So then he brings in the doctrine of the spirit and the spirit is the one who sort of comes to us, awakens faith. And in faith, we get united with Jesus. It's almost like at that moment, this is not, it is at that moment in the Institutes, but it, there's, it's a little bit more nuanced than the rest of his writings. But it's almost as if he thinks of Jesus, that all the blessings of God are housed in him like a coffee cup. And we're over here. So the Holy Spirit comes and awakens us and we make a pilgrimage of faith to get into the coffee cup and receive the blessings. But that's a, a fundamental flaw because this relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit is indivisible. The Father never goes anywhere without the Son of the Spirit and vice versa. So this descent in Jesus means the descent of his relation with the Father and this, the descent of his union and uh, anointing in the Holy Spirit inside the abyss. So the Holy Spirit's not doing something over here on the basis of what Jesus did to get us to walk across to him. The Holy Spirit came in Jesus. This is one of the things that Irenaeus explored beautifully. He says the Holy Spirit is accustoming himself to dwell with us in our flesh in Jesus's life. So the Holy Spirit is in us, turns the lights on so that we can meet Jesus in us. And Jesus is, is teaching us about the Father. Uh, these the and, and the truth is, I... I you can get that very notion from Calvin in different places in his commentaries, but I mean, he did a magisterial thing, man. He, uh, and unfortunately got tangled up with, because the Western tradition was all about Augustine. And in fact, Mm -hmm. several, several historical commentators have have pointed out that the, the reformation is a fight between the two sides of Augustine. Um, and Augustine, you know, he was doomed to being original, which in the context of a living tradition is not a high compliment. But I have great respect for him as a human being. Uh, it's just some of the ideas that he handed on, namely double predestination. And he he was really allowing uh, thought to come into the Holy of Holies of Christian reflection without it being converted. And it hadn't run through the Trinity, so to speak, yet. Uh, it was just ideas, and those came in. And eventually those ideas that were unaided rose to such power in the Enlightenment that they turned to the Christian church and basically booted it out and said, mm-hmm. we don't need this. This is anachronistic. And we're back to where we were at the beginning of our discussion in one of the other segments. Um, okay. So George MacDonald. Okay. So uh, that's um, Calvin is 1500s. 1600s, you have the rise of the Puritans. And, and there's a guy named, they think this book was written by Edward Fisher. It's called The Marrow of Modern Divinity. Uh, and uh, I've got a copy of it somewhere, but he, it's interesting. He had three characters and they were going back and forth in the discussion. But his point was that, that even, even in the late 1600s, the gospel had already, in 1700s, 
had be, become conditional. And, and so, in other words, uh, God does not love you. He may love you if you do the right things, or if you believe, then God will forgive you, as opposed to announcing forgiveness as a fact and summoning us all to believe it and promising us as we believe in the forgiveness of God, things happen inside that we can't make happen on our own. Uh, we discovered Jesus there. That was, that was uh, the beginning uh, of a of major controversy in the Western Protestant tradition. Uh, and they, they, the Merrimen basically got squelched. Thomas Erskine comes along in his late, he's born late 1700s and died in, uh, I want to say, uh, 71 or 81. 1881. So he wrote um, uh, The Unconditional Freedom of the Gospel. He also wrote this book uh, I was talking about another segment on the spiritual order. He's the one that said, look, we've got it backwards. We're talking about this like God creates us, puts us on probation. And then we're going to see and evaluate it at the end. And he says, no, no, they had recovered the fatherhood of God and uh, they had recovered the Trinity in a practical, meaningful way. And he says, no, we're created in Jesus as children, and we're created to be educated in the spirit, sonship, uh, daughtership, to be filled with God's life, share with us in Jesus. And he he came up with the notion that God is a consuming fire. And that, and that so George MacDonald, born in 1826, I think, um, and he is in the same discussion, but he's masterfully creative, wrote 52 books, most of which are novels. A lot of children's stories, a lot of allegories. He wrote uh, a book called Unspoken Sermons, 36 Sermons. Uh, there's an edition of that now called uh, Christ in Creation. It's translated, uh, edited, um, very helpful. But those sermons will rock your world because he does not look at things the way we do. And he looks, in fact, I was reading just this morning uh, in a letter that he wrote to his father where he said, you know, all these people talking about faith, 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 faith. He said, I don't talk about faith. I talk about Jesus. If you talk about Jesus, people get, have something to believe. And before you talk, they're starting to trust him. You know, yeah. faith is not the point. Jesus is the point. So, so you have you have George MacDonald um, and then um, and C.S. Lewis says That's that George MacDonald was his master. Um, so then you have um, Edward Irving at the same time. As, as, uh, this is all 1800s. A lot of F.D. Morris, a lot of stuff was going on. They were beginning to see we got a real problem here with the conditional gospel. Um, and then you have uh, P.T. Forsyth, H.R. McIntosh in the 1900s, and T.F. Torrance, all of whom taught it at, uh, in, in Edinburgh at New College or whichever college it was at the time. And then you have J.B. Torrance, and then you have um, Alan Torrance and Trevor Hart and and many New Testament scholars now, like Douglas Campbell and Duke, fabulous. Just, I just, I, I texted him on Easter. I said, "Brother, you are one inspiring human being because of what he's done. He has taken the Paul, and he has shaken and said, you guys have come at come at Paul not with covenant, but with contract, and you're trying to rest Paul in that mm, this, yeah. this. So he takes this point. What's of the, the difference between a covenant and a contract? Um, a covenant is a. Um, let me see if I, I've got a. I've got that quote somewhere. And this is something in the series that you just recorded that I yeah. was at. You yes. cover this. Yeah, I'm gonna get. I'm, I'm gonna read. I want to read that quote because it's so beautiful. It's one of the best theological statements I've ever read anywhere from Douglas Campbell. He's talking about J.B. Torrance, who was my professor in the '80s, 
Here it is. This, this is it. A covenantal relationship for James Torrance is a relationship grounded in love for the other and hence one that is unconditional, permanent, and irrevocable. Because the basis of the relationship is precisely this ground of love, the covenantal actor, God, reaches out to the other and establishes the relationship independently of any action by that party. It is therefore an unconditional and gracious act, and the relationship with the other is a gifted one. The covenantal actor elected to enter the relationship and so taken the initiative. The actor, God, has therefore functioned missiologically and incarnationally, in the case of God, literally, in stretching to the other actor's location. That's the entrance into the darkness. Um, um, others' actor's location, if necessary, and if necessary, meeting them right where he or she is. Once established, moreover, this relationship extends through time irrevocably and last as long as the love of the loving covenantal actor lasts, hence in the case of God through eternity. And the relationship is consequently characterized by loyalty and unswerving fidelity. So a covenant... Coming, coming for a bride. Right. That's my language. You're my bride, and I, I don't do abandonment, so we're going to figure out how to get inside the real problem and bring a real resolution to it. Um, so... This is what I mean by God doesn't do abandonment. I mean, that's our thinking brought in. That's projection from our infidelity onto the face of God and in creating God in the image of that and in writing out theology and a, a view of, of the cross, a view of Jesus in that framework. And this is this what I'm talking about. What all of these men and women were talking about is a love that preceded us. Um, it's, it's just like this. John says God is love. Mm -hmm. Well, does that mean that God loves sometimes? And if God loves sometimes, what are the conditions of that love? What is the what is the love wire trip? Yep. Or, or does it mean that God loves all the time? And if God loves all the time, he's not going to abandon us. And he's not going to abandon his purpose for us. So that's the consuming fire piece. His love for us is unconditional and it will unconditionally expose everything in us and in our lives that is alien to that love in that life and that blessedness of Father, Son, and Spirit. So that's where love and judgment are integrated. Judgment is not to vengeance. Judgment is not designed to destroy the person. Judgment is salvation, the salvation of Jesus Christ saving us from ourselves. It's it's the light of Jesus inside the mind of the woman in the psych unit mm -hmm. and saying, take sides with me, walk with me. I'm going to get you out of this. We're going to bring healing. Um, so the wrath, of God, the wrath of God is not the opposite of God's love or the opposite of God's mercy. The wrath of God is the incarnation. It's the incarnation. Amen. You know, Bill will probably, Bill will recognize probably why I'm chuckling because I've made this point repeatedly, repeatedly. God equals love. God is love. It's not one of his attributes. It's not one of his characters and uh, characteristics. This is who God truly is. Let me just say, too, in closing, I, I didn't finish the list because this is important, but you've got uh, Carrie Dearborn and, and her husband, Tim Dearborn, that are in the middle of this discussion. Douglas Campbell, I didn't, I did mention. Julie Candless is another one. Uh, some of you may know of Malcolm Smith. He's been, he's been talking about this for 
70 years. I just saw Malcolm last week, as a matter of fact. And, and of course, Paul Young and Brad Jerzak, among others, and, and, and John Crowder, who's in the charismatic stream, a brilliant Trinitarian theologian. Uh, Paul Goff in England uh, and Francois de Toy the, translating the, the mirror. Those just, that's just kind of like to get you started to realize, oh, because um, I don't think I'm saying anything new. I, it's mainly re recovering what's there. Um, I, I don't think I'm you're saying anything new either. <laughs> Thanks, Baxter. Yes, let's do it again, boys. That seems um, like a good note to, to bring everything to a conclusion, Bill, yeah. because I, I'm, yeah. this, yeah, you're getting a, we stepped into the water today, and I'm it just as, as Baxter's been indicating, we did not give you the whole pool. I mean, there's there's a, there's an ocean out there, and every time I come back to it, I hear something new. I did as we sat and talked to Baxter today, as a matter of fact, and I, I it's 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 constantly refreshing. It's changed my perspective on God, and in the conversations I'm having with people, and the concerns and the rejection that they have of God understanding that so many of those things, so many of those things come from this myth of separation, from this uh, sense that they are less than and they have to somehow or other measure up and the sad, sad truth that this has been handed to them in some way, shape or form by church going people who probably mean well as they do it. And that this is something to me, like we, you know, we sit here, we normally talking about, you know, social issues and I'm coming at these from somewhat of a libertarian perspective here. Well, actually, not somewhat, totally. And yet, at the root of all of this, so much of it is separation from God and thinking that this is an angry, distant father. This is not, not, not a small issue.